Welcome to Australian Hunger, I am your host Ben. On today's show, I've got an interview with Anal Mathrak, Dave Hunt, their vocalist. They're going to be touring Australia next month, but all that in a little bit. Before then, I want to get to an article that I saw. Back, back, to, back to formula, back to formula. So, louder, which is like some weird part of Metal Hammer, I don't quite get it. But louder sound, they had an article about why Behemoth's The Satanist is the greatest extreme metal album of the 21st century. It's by a guy who I respect, Dale Patterson, but like, I, I find this kind of article incredibly wrong-headed for a bunch of reasons. Firstly, the idea that there is some sort of... <laughs> you can, like, rank... Like, I can understand if there's some sort of audience poll, fine. There's some sort of, like, hey, here's some of the amazing albums of the 21st century, and you've got 100, fine. But to pick one... Like one extreme metal album and say, yep, that's it. That's the album we've got. It seems very, very weird to me. And especially the fact that you're saying the 21st century, and this is nitpicky, but I think it's actually quite relevant. The 21st century has not been completed. It is not even a fifth completed. It's not completed its 20th year. <laughs> so that's kind of a problem. Like I wouldn't say, I'd be a bit hesitant to release an album, the greatest of the 21st century, when it was not yet elapsed or even close to elapsing. So <laughs> that's uh, it's funny. That was actually a riff that a friend and I did on one of our first radio shows. That's taken me back. But one of my final point is The Satanist is a good album. It's a great album. It's an amazing album. But with so many of these things... Like, it's ultimately up to taste whether you like that kind of blackened death metal. For someone who likes Extreme Doom, like, that's not going to be it. And I always find these kind of rankings of, not just here's a really cool album, or here's an album I really like, but the greatest album. Uh, I think those kind of sort of broad declarations are just kind of... I think part of the problem, and it's something we all experience, we all are convinced that our musical taste is in some way objective, whether where everyone else is subjective or inferior, I think to go beyond stating that an album has good attributes and an album is widely liked, an album is personally liked, I think that is always overstating it, and it's not recognising that there's something deeper at work, that an album's characteristics that appeal to us are not universal are not universal and even if we can say that they do something better than almost all other bands like i think that's it's just it it takes music in a way that i think we really need to get away from we really need to depart from this kind of interpretation of music as some sort of hierarchy, particularly one which you yourself can set in order. Like, if you want to have a poll, that's fine. I think that's always good to get a flavour of what people are thirsting after in a particular moment. But this kind of approach, I think it's silly, and I, I just don't think it's the right one. You can say, you can have something about extreme metal, one of extreme metals, because they, they've gotten the subtitle. Behemoth's masterpiece not only marks Nogal's return from the brink, it serves as Extreme Metal's crowning achievement. If you want to say it's one of... It's uh, Behemoth's masterpiece, all right, I can get that. If you want to say that 
it's one of extreme metal's crowning achievements, I'll even grant that. But to say that it is the singular is, I think, a little bit absurd. And it also doesn't recognise the fact that there have been so many amazing albums in the extreme metal category released over the last 19 years, nearly coming up to 20. And I, I would definitely not feel comfortable stating any particular one is the greatest. I definitely wouldn't feel comfortable stating that the Satanist in particular is the greatest. So, I don't know, I, I think that's a really odd way to put stuff. I talked to Dave Hunt of Anana Thrak. They released album last year, A New Kind of Horror. And they're actually touring Australia, which is interesting. I, I talk a little bit about it in the interview, but... I didn't realise how much they were touring because when I you always go through this process of getting into a band and you kind of learn depending on how much you're into them you will look up stuff about them and I was keen on Anthrax they were an interesting band they're still quite an interesting band and I looked them up and it turned out that they didn't tour basically they did sort of once off shows I think they played a couple of festivals but back when I was getting into them uh, around the time of um, in the constellation they were not doing many shows 2009 I think that was <laughs> aging me and but they've in the last I think it's five years they've really changed it up they've realized that hey people can actually play our music and I think when they say play our music they just they kind of mean the drums because <laughs> they're you know, they've, they've got a pretty full-on drum machine their music um and yeah but that's kind of a really cool thing that they've been able to bring this madness to the world in this various tours and this is their first time an Australian tour they actually played at mofo a year or two ago but this is their first time playing a tour they're going to be in Sydney at the Crowbar on March 7th, Melbourne at Max Watts on March 8th, and in Brisbane at the Crowbar on March 9th. This is Dave Hunt of Nalmathrak. So let's start off talking a little bit about the uh, upcoming tour. So this is your first headline tour for Australia. Like... Give us a bit of an idea of kind of what an Anand Thrax show looks like. What kind of songs you're going to be playing? Like, what what are you pulling out from your discography and your new your your new stuff? How is that all going to work? Um, we usually try to to have a fair cross section um, of songs. I mean, obviously we've we've put out a few records by now, so it can be a bit tricky to to play everything that you know might be one person's favorite song or something like that but we we try to make sure we have uh we have a, a decent selection including you know some some older stuff some newer stuff all of that kind of thing um so we don't i mean some bands you'll see they tend to play you know 10 songs off the new album and then throw an old one in or something and that's not really what we do um and it, more generally uh, i think we'd we tend to have a fairly down-to-earth approach to this kind of stuff. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, walking around on stilts or, you know, <laughs> covering yourself in various fluids or whatever it is that you want to do. But that's that's not really our style. We're, we're, it's more of a, a sort of punky sort of kind of thing we, we, we go for. Um, where legal, we would tend to encourage stage diving. Obviously, some places it's not legal. So, um, well, we wouldn't say anything about that. <laughs> um and aside from that, anything can happen, really. Um, I mean, the, we we were lucky enough to play in Australia once before at the Dark Mofo Festival in uh, in Tasmania, um, and that seemed to go pretty well. We had uh, a blind guy stage diving, which was kind of cool, <laughs> um, 
And for some reason, we had some guys on stage with their dicks out. Don't really know why that happened, but you know, anything anything goes as far as we're concerned. In in terms of you, sort of more personally, like when you're up there performing, what is it you're trying to do? What is it that may, for you you're trying to do, which makes I know in in the the part that you play a, a successful gig. Um, I suppose that's a, that's a slightly more complicated question to answer than you might think. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I'm I'm not particularly an exhibitionist, um, which may sound a strange <laughs> thing, uh, given what I sometimes find myself doing. Um, so one of the things I'm trying to do primarily is is live up to the occasion you know there is a degree of uh, responsibility that you bear i think if people have come to to see you and you want to make sure that that it's justified um so yeah first of all don't be shit (laughs) it's one of the things you're certainly aiming for um I, i tend to think of performance i mean that sounds a bit of a sort of pretentious way of putting it but i tend to think of performance and in terms of uh the embodying something you you should or rather i would try to to get the feel of the songs you know so present in the way that i felt at the time that you can communicate that to to an audience um which is a slightly different thing some some people sort of stand there and telegraph you know they they present things as obviously as possible um and don't necessarily feel it themselves whereas i would tend to go more for a you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to mean it. Um, and I suppose finally there's, there's, there's a, a small extent, I wouldn't want to try and overdo it, but there's a small extent of being sort of, uh, you know, like a, a ringmaster or something like that. You know, you, you, you want to point people in the right direction and try and, and try and, uh, give a fluency and, uh, a momentum to proceedings. Um, but that varies show to show, you know, you've got to take it as it is, but basically it's, balls out (laughs) doing your absolute level best and not being satisfied with with anything less than that i think that's probably the most direct answer now when i first got into you guys um as when into the constellation came out you guys you were sort of notable in bands that you were a studio band but you also played a couple of shows live that's that's changed since you're obviously touring australia touring japan um you're touring i think europe at some stage has that had any effects on like the band, like the way you go about things, touring far more than you ever did? I don't know maybe ten years ago or so. Um, no, I don't think it has really. Um, I mean, obviously, from a musical point of view, you might expect um, you might expect that we we write songs differently so that they're easier to play live or something like that, and we certainly don't do that. Um, we you know, when we're doing an album, it has to be the best album that we can make. Um, and then when we come to play live, well, that's just a new challenge, how to turn that material into something that works live. So we, we don't compromise on that. Um, and in terms of the, the interpersonal dynamics, that side of things, no, I don't think it really changes anything. I mean, we we probably saw, even though we play a bit more nowadays, it's not like we're you know metallica we don't go out on tour for two and a half years <laughs> at a stretch or anything like that um and we probably saw more of each other before we started playing live than we do now outside of shows because uh, mick lived up the road um whereas now he lives in california so you know it's it's 
the more often we play, it's it's more of an opportunity to to meet up <laughs> as much as anything else. Um, and yeah, I don't think really playing live has changed our perspective on anything at all. It's it's something that we do, but we always did it. So yeah, no, we we are the same people that we were, regardless of being lucky enough. I mean, we we appreciate the opportunities that we've had, but aside from that, we're we're the same the same as we always were. I think. To touch briefly on the album, um, from from your side of things, um, Mick obviously uh, being the guitarist, uh, he does production uh, for both Anthrax and other bands. Like, so he has a large responsibility. In it. Like, when do you come into the process? Um, it's a it's a bit of a weird one actually because we 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 sort of don't overlap uh, in what we do. Um, I mean, if if I've got an idea for a sound or a riff or something like that, then I'll, you know I'll, I'll talk to Mick about it and he'll he'll listen. But I won't I won't you know go here's a song I've written, Mick. You have to put this on the album or anything like that. Um, he's better at that kind of thing, and that's you know that just makes sense in the same way that he wouldn't do the same for vocals. Um, but we we do tend when a, when an album's like in the 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 nascent stages um when it's you know just trans when it's just becoming a bit more than a twinkle in our eyes <laughs> um we will tend to to start having conversations then about um sort of general aesthetic matters uh, you know an overall feel to maybe maybe a, a specific piece of art or thing in history or book or something that gives gives some flavor some kind of foundational uh, direction that I mean we don't then necessarily stick to it, but it, it it percolates through what we then come up with. So that is actually um, a bit collaborative uh, right at the start. Um, but then once Mick properly gets into writing songs, uh, and I'm properly into compiling lyric ideas and, and all of that kind of stuff, it's actually very separate. So um, I mean it varies to an extent, but for this album, for a new kind of horror. Um, when I went to because I hadn't heard any of the songs it, it was the first time I heard them um, actually in the control room in the studio um, but that's a pretty weird way to work but it, it works for us um, we, we enjoy the spontaneity and the directness of, of being able to react to the music that I think that comes out in the in the finished album um so yeah it wouldn't work for a lot of people but that's the way we like it taking the next step from that you're, you're presented with a piece of music which you're to add your component to it what is what is your approach like how do you feel out where there are parts that you know you can add to that there are particular styles of um vocals that you should add in particular places like how does that work for you it's it's very instinctive. Um, pretty much everything we do is sort of gut based. Um, so I I have I, I maintain like a, a, a great big list, a, a document of all the all the ideas and bits of lyrics and stuff like that that I've that I've got. Um, and then when we come to record, it's a matter of okay, which song we're we going to do? Okay, this song, play it a couple of times, get a feel for it, and and that the feel of the music will inform the choices that I make from the, the ideas that I've got and everything. Um, 
and then I wrap around, I wrap the ideas around the music that's there based on what feels like the most appropriate thing for that piece of music. Um, and the same goes with, with the, at, a, at a more microscopic sort of level, you know, the, the particular vocal style on a particular part of a riff or something like that. It's, it's very much a matter of listening to it and, and responding to it, getting the thing that feels right, given that piece of music and given the context of the rest of the song. Um, and like I say, very instinctual. Uh, so there will be there'll be times when the very first time it goes through, I can immediately hear the vocal in my head straight away. Um, and it's yeah, you just blurt it out almost. Um, it, you know, it, it goes on very easily, you might say. Um, but there can be other times when, yeah, we're, we're trying to think, you know, well, we already did that on this bit of the, this song and that didn't sound quite right or something. Um, and then it will be, aha, I've got it. <laughs> you know, you you sit there trying to grind it out for a while, but then, nah, I've got it. Um, and I'll just say to Mick, right, record this. And he won't know what I'm going to do, but usually he agrees that it was the right thing <laughs> once it's done. Um, so we, we try to keep it spontaneous because uh, that's how I think it, it suits best. If you if you go in with too many preconceived ideas of what you're going to do, you, you become rigid, you become inflexible, and I don't think that serves... That serves the listener very well. I don't. I don't think it's, it conduces to the best music you can make. The best music you can make should be guided by feeling. I think because that's the way music works in the listener. Talking more generally about your vocal styles, you're like, for me, you're one of the more interesting people performing in you know that kind of uh, vocally in extreme metal because there's so many just different approaches and so many subtle things that you do and you there's always sort of a, the the opportunity to be surprised by things which i don't think is a thing that a lot of people do unfortunately talk a little bit about like why there's such a kind of breadth of things that you're interested in putting on uh various pieces of music um that's it's difficult to know. To be honest, I think that characteristic sort of carries through most things um, with both of us. Actually, we're we're quite open-minded, broad-minded, just as people. We're open to finding out what's out there, kind of thing, rather than always wanting to stick to to what we know. Um, so, you know, to take music and as as an example, we're we're constantly listening to all manner of stuff, you know, a really wide variety of things. Um, I mean, for most of the past 12 months or so, as far as I'm aware, Mick's mostly listened to Elvis. <laughs> he got really madly into Elvis for some reason. Um, and, you know, we, we both share an interest in certain kinds of electronic music. You know, I, I listen to a lot of classical stuff. It's And that's not, it's not going, oh, God, aren't we eclectic and clever and all that kind of stuff. It's just we're, we're open to different things. Um, and in terms of metal and stuff like that, um, we've always been omnivorous, you know, the mixed primary background and that kind of stuff is, is what I would call cross punk, you know, the extreme noise terror, uh, and he loves old napalm and stuff like that. Um, and mine's probably a bit more, you know, death metal based when I was in my teens and that, um, and we both had a passion for black metal at the time and we both like king diamond and all of that so why you know why why say to yourself i, I can be one thing and only this one thing um i mean if, if you have a particular talent for one thing and you can't do anything else particularly well well okay that's understandable but f 
as long as you can, you know, be free to experiment and, and some of it works and you can, you know, you can double down on, on the best parts and all of that kind of stuff, then it seems that being open-minded is just, is, is natural to us. And it gives you a lot more different colors, different atmospheres, different ideas that you can play with than you would have if you, if you stuck to one style. So it's, it's, it's just natural to us to do it the way we do. Um, you mentioned sort of uh, being attracted to death metal when you were younger. Like in terms of extreme metal, more broadly, like what, what was it attracted to? Uh, attracted you to it in the beginning? Has that changed as you sort of um, matured? Uh, you know, released ten records, but you know, specifically with the Nanothrack. Has that changed over that period of time? Um, the, the reason I started listening to stuff like that was because I had I had a, a sound in my head. Um, I'd never heard music that sounded like that um, or anything extreme. You know, I was a kid. Uh, I think uh, when I was a, a properly little kid, I remembered Iron Maiden were in the charts or something like that. And that was about as close as I got. Um, but I had a sound in my head for some reason from somewhere. And I went after I went out looking for music that sounded like it. Um, and the first thing I came across that started, I mean, it wasn't exactly you know, right but that that started to be in the right kind of direction. Um, there used to be a, a T-shirt shop in Birmingham called Alive, if I remember rightly, which was kind of ironic because it sold death metal T-shirts most of the time. Um, and I walked into there and they were playing, I think it was Deicide or something like that. Um, I didn't recognise it at the time, but you know, thinking back, it sounds something along those lines. And that was the first time I thought, that's actually not far off <laughs> the sound in my head. Um, so that was what attracted me to that. And then that was what kept me going on past death metal. Um, you know, the, the reason I ended up listening to Masana or White House or something like that was that that was the final, the final 10% that was lacking in extreme metal to me. Um, so I, d- I don't know how typical that is. I, d- I don't know. If, I don't know what other people's reasons for getting into that kind of stuff would be, but it, it made perfect sense to me because I already knew what it was before I heard it. One last question before I let you go. Uh, is there anything sure. you've been listening to, watching, reading recently? Oh, yeah. Um, lots of stuff, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, one thing that I've, I'm looking forward to coming out soon is um, is the new Burgraven album. Um, that's a, a little-known, like, one-man well, it's two men actually, I think, but but sort of melancholic black metal project from a guy I, I met in Sweden, um, and he's not had a new album for like ten years or something, um, and that's coming out soon. Uh, and other than that, I, I managed to get a, a box set of Decca uh, classical music stuff, and I've been working my way through that. Um, so listening to most recently to uh, the Chopin uh, solo piano stuff, uh, which has been amazing. Um, and yeah, you wouldn't get it. Do you get do you get BBC stuff over there? TV? Uh, we do, but it's um, it's behind the sort of paywall of uh, you have to pay for it, which uh, only oh, certain people a, have. That's a shame because there's a being from Birmingham, it's kind of looked down upon culturally speaking by a lot of people in the rest of the country. And there's a, there's a sitcom set in Birmingham called Citizen Khan on the BBC, and it's utterly fucking crap. it's it's, to me anyway maybe i'm the wrong audience for it but to me it seems racist and really unpleasant but there's an antidote to that that's been on bbc3 lately called man like my bean which is really down to earth comedy that reflects 
you know the, the background of people like me quite accurately so that's that's been kind of fun so there you go yeah they're not necessarily normal recommendations that you might get but that's been, that's been keeping me going Thanks to Dave Hunt from Anamathrak for chatting with me. Before I let you go, I want to make a recommendation. This is a band which I came across from their first album, Air. And they're really doing a unique thing in a particular way. So one of my favourite things is, like, it can vary, but it's like shoegaze, post-rock, alternative rock combined with black metal. The bands that do that, in particular Alcest, quite a few others, a lot of them are not particularly well known. It's kind of a niche genre which Alcest in particular has managed to kind of achieve some level of stardom out of. Um, I I love just about any album that I can get my hands on that play in that style. And I think I actually will be making a few recommendations that bear that out over the next few weeks, but that's neither here nor there. This is a little bit separate to that. So Asteroid include like that I don't know if I want to say atmospheric I don't want to say no I don't know if I want to say like positive riffing I don't know if I want to say like they can kind of combine those ideas I don't want to, I wouldn't know I don't know I don't know how exactly to describe it because I think post metal post rock probably doesn't adequately describe it but I think the most particular thing about it is the vocals they have a very shoegazy tone a breathy airy tone to them something which you basically don't find in heavy metal and particularly not heavy metal in this form i think maybe the only real comparisons are some of those um like lcs and some of those other kind of black shoegazy bands and also jezu um Justin Broderick's project might be also kind of something you can compare it to because he has that vibe been a very a, a drone doomy approach so what I'm getting to is they have those Asteroid have those kind of aspects but are playing more of a straightforward I think they've called it um, Dream Thrash but I don't know Thrash necessarily covers it but it's really, it's really interesting stuff and it's different to just about anything you'll listen to without being avant-garde, without being just ridiculously over the head. I can't be bothered going back and listening to their first album, but it, it almost sort of struck me that maybe the novelty's worn off for me a little bit. Maybe it's not quite as fresh as the first album felt. And I'd be interested to see if anyone else has any kind of opinions on that. But if you have not listened to Astronaut, I think regardless of whether you like it or not, I think it's it's well worth a listen, just purely because of its difference. You know, a lot of bands in the black metal category, I think, do it a lot better, just because the style meshes quite more thoroughly. The, the hazy guitars and the breathy vocals, they kind of mix a lot better than the more the more like substantive like there's something there kind of riffing but regardless you should you should definitely give this album a listen just because it's different if nothing else and it's enjoyable i'm just not sure if it's enjoyable as fresh as the first but um that's asteroid in their self-titled album that's a big no-no don't do that asteroid bad <laughs> you only get one self-titled album that's your first otherwise you've lost it but anyway 
that's just one of my aesthetic preferences. Thanks so much for listening. I've got a bunch of interviews coming up, so I think I've more or less kind of, I know, I feel, so I hit a little bit of a dry spell, and I think I've kind of cleared that because I basically realized that the previous state of getting so many bands responding to me in a kind of timely fashion, I might need to be a little bit more proactive than that because not all bands are going to do that. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. I've got two others recorded, two others scheduled. So at least for the next few weeks, I should be pretty good. And I've got a quite a good list of other bands I want to talk to as well. But until then, if you've got any questions, comments, if you're in a band or you're interested in an interview, let me know. You can email me, australianhunger at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on various social media platforms at Oz Hunger. That's A-U-S Hunger. Until then this week, bye.